3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a more market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll be one to make friends. I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to educate, but to entertain and to teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Right, rather than freaking out at today's market, with the Dow sinking 209 points, that declining 0.20 percent. Even the Nasdaq went up a little bit, 0.17. I got to teach you how to use a sell-off no, no, no. to do some buy, 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 buying. Let's get opportunistic together. If you think about it logically, you should be drawn to a sale. When Macy's starts the sale, you love it, right? But when the stock market throws a sale, we have a million excuses for not buying. Maybe we're too close to the top, or the charts have turned bad, or stocks are still too expensive. The thing is, you could have made those same arguments every step of the way as the average has marched ever higher. It's easy to scare yourself away. I mean, look, the market's been up for seven straight days. So let me give you the secret to buying high-quality stocks that can give you sustainable gains, not meme stocks that fizzle after a few days. Now, there are three ways I have learned in 40 years, three ways... To approach a sell-off, okay? First, you can buy the strongest stocks because they're now battle-tested. They failed to go down when so many others got hit. When the market was really ugly at one point, you could see the winners. Second, you can buy the stocks you like where you have been waiting for a pullback. Remember how we say, oh, geez, if I got a pullback, I'd buy Well, It happened. Third, you can buy the stocks of companies that had good news today but failed to rally because the overall tape was too ugly. These are the three ways. OK, if you want to write it down, that's fine. These are the only three ways, though. That's it. I, I'm distilling it all. Let me give you some real life examples that fit into these silos. The first group, stocks that triumph on a bad day, are often the most fertile ground because they would have been up even more if the averages hadn't dragged everything down. So let's start with the one that was up gigantic. Let's start with Amazon. Today, Amazon effectively won half of a defense contract that most people assume would go to entirely to Microsoft. $10 billion win, huge gross margins, makes a ton of sense for the Pentagon because it's based on cost and quality of Amazon Web Services, it's the best in the industry. This is the house that Andy Jassy built, so the contract makes for a nice present on the day when he takes the reins as CEO. Of course, Amazon hasn't exactly pulled back, just made a new all-time high today, that's okay. The momentum in the stock is as strong as I've ever seen it, and people like to buy momentum. Plus, and this is what I think is really important. Do you know it's only up 13% for the year? I mean, it's only really three percentage points behind the SP 500. You're not buying this thing at an outrageous increase versus the S&P. Why is that? A lot of people are still hung up on this pandemic versus non-pandemic false dichotomy. You just need to put all that out of your head. The so-called pandemic place has spent the last month and a half roaring higher. More on that later when we talk about the biggest winners from the second quarter. Very counterintuitive. Amazon's doing incredibly well right now because the business they took during the pandemic is sticky. Once you abandon brick-and-mortar stores for the web, you don't go back. Everything else is extraneous. Now, the big issue with something like Amazon is that people want to say, I missed it. I mean, isn't that the big objection? Now, but you know, you could have said that same thing thousands of points ago and you still would have been dead wrong. Don't use that as an excuse. You can't ever catch this one right. Now, I remember when I first bought Amazon for my travel Trust, then President Trump had just trashed it viciously, ripping, uh, ripping, uh, they said he ripped off the post, they ripped off the post office, even though it had been an even-handed transaction. I, I, I was, I was on vacation. That's a real nice place. And I decided to jump on that 300-point decline to do some buy. Then the stock dropped 200 points more the next day. I bought more, but I can tell you it sincerely wrecked my vacation and my wife hated before it, even though that we had to pay surge pricing. And it was a miserable time in our lives because of this darn, probably too much information. Anyway, that was more than 2,000 points ago. I still remember the vacation as miserable, but hey, good for charity. What else works in this category? How about Apple? Now, this is a high-quality company with a pristine balance sheet and fantastic customer. Look, there's no, there's no rocket scientist, what I'm doing here, okay? It, it managed to withstand today's beatdown. Even though Apple's only down a few bucks from its 52 week high, it is underperforming the S&P 500 year-to-date. It's only up about half as much, as the, even though it's a better company than nearly everything else in the index. I've told you time and again, own Apple, don't trade it. It's more than ever has this one been right. Stock's running because Nano said it does better in July ahead of a new launch. Wow, I don't care. I think today's strength shows you Apple's potential the market Market hadn't gotten hit. You buy strength in this tape. It bothers me tremendously that at 120, 119, 118, people came on our air and said, it, it, it's not worth buying, there's no catalyst. I would like to expose those people and defrock them. They are charlatans. There, I said it. All right. Yeah, do you think someone right now is saying, I think you called me a charlatan? Good. All right, now I should mention some of the ransomware stories too, because uh, uh, of this weekend and uh, more cyber theft. I am still backing the cyber plays even here, but they do tend to trade down three or four days later and are better buys than when cyber theft is not top of mind. So they do not get included in the stocks that rallied when so many others fell. What about the second group? Terrific stocks where you've been waiting for a pullback. Okay, what does that describe? Oil. Oil went to 76 this morning. High has been an agent for pulling back 74 later in the day. Soon, though, despite today's decline, here's what you're going to be hearing. The drumbeat for 100. We do have much more uh, demand than supply. So it can happen. You need an oil uh, company here that's got a disciplined management and a variable dividend that allows you to quickly profit from higher prices. So therefore, you need Devin. Which was down nearly 5% today. Ah, oh, God, I love that. Even as this one of the year's best performers. Think of it as a rare chance to buy a stock that's on a roll. More on this one later, but you can't say, oh no, Devin's down. I don't want to buy it. You have to say, oh no, Devin's down. I've been waiting to buy it. Here it is. Finally, group three the stocks that had the positive catalyst today, like analyst recommendations, and would have been up huge on any other day. Ah, oh, textbook. American Express. This morning, Goldman Sachs recommended it, and the stock quickly traded up $3 until the buyers realized there was no need to chase because Amex would inevitably get dragged down by the weakness of all the other financials, even as nothing to do with J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs or the rest, or of course, uh, Didi aside from being in the same ETFs as the banks, the recommendation was solid. May was an inflection point for American Express. We know that because we had them on the show. Remember when CEO Steve Squirey spoke to us at Bar San Miguel, my small plate Mexican place in Brooklyn? He said business is extraordinarily strong just from small, medium-sized enterprises. Imagine what will happen when international travel comes back. I think American Express stock should have rallied four bucks today. Instead, it barely budged because it's in a bunch of financial ETFs that got dragged down as the investment banks were hammered by the DD fiasco. Think of these stocks as textbook examples of what you can buy on a down day. The crucial part that I left out, you can't buy them all at once. When I bought Amazon stock after Trump bashed it, then he did the same thing again the next day. I was fine because I'd left room to buy more at lower levels. It's not because I'm clairvoyant. I didn't know Amazon would get hit again. I left room because I know I'm only human. Uh, The people in my uh, Twitter mentions call them think I'm more than that, but I'm not. I'm only human. And when people buy stocks, we almost never nail the timing. When you buy a stock at the exact bottom, I'm calling that a miracle. Much more often you end up buying it too early or too late. So you have to leave room. That way if the stock goes down, you won't panic and sell. Instead you can just take the pain in stride and buy more of a good company at a lower level. The bottom line, remember the three types of stocks to buy on down days. The ones that rallied anyway, the ones where you're finally getting along the way to pull back and the ones that got recommended but failed to rally because of the bad tape. Take your pick. Do all three just so long as you approach the sell-off not as a reason to panic, but as an opportunity. I need to go to Bob in New York. Bob.
4: Yes, hi, booyah, there's Jim. My first time caller. All right. My uh, question is uh, I purchased a position three or four months ago before the transition company brought over PaySafe to the New York Stock
3: Exchange. Yes.
4: And and it's been nothing but a dog ever since. And uh, I've heard good things about it regarding it uh, just signed with Microsoft for Xbox Payments and with uh, Michigan's uh, Bet Fox, I believe it is, a Fox Bed. And uh, the stock doesn't move. It just keeps moving you know,
3: down. B- Bob, you're absolutely right. But I'm going to tell you down here at 11. I mean, this is we're doing a piece about SPACs later this evening. I think Paysafe is worth it. I, you know, Bill Foley, we I, we trust Bill Foley. Uh, he is the chairman and founder. It's an inexpensive stock. It was very expensive. And it's inexpensive only in 2025 and 2024. I'm game. Down 25 percent. Call me a buyer. Paysafe. I want you to recognize that you'd be shopping for bargains on days like today, particularly in the Dow stocks. That's where the, uh, That was the, uh, the true epicenter of I want you, you to use one or three of, of these methods. I need you to remember these methods. I come back to them time and time again on Mad Tonight. As we kick off the second half of the year, I'm looking back at the second quarter's strongest stocks and then tell you what it means for the future so you know what to buy. Plus, why the top stocks of the NASDAQ may have been written off too soon. And if you're thinking of investing in a Chinese stock, I'm going to tell you why DD may have you pumping the brakes. So stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call
0: Visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: Let's talk SPACs. Early this year, the entire SPAC complex collapsed collapse under its own weight. But in the last couple months, some of these stocks have started making a comeback. So it's time to talk about them. There's one thing the winners have in common. They're special purpose acquisition companies that have completed their mergers, meaning they've been de spAcked. Think of them as post-SPAC plays, like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, not a dog being spayed. Late last year, SPACs would pop when they came public. Then they'd soar into the stratosphere the moment they announced the deal. That was insane. And when the market got flooded with these things, the stock, the SPAC stocks, well, they stopped rallying. The profits, in many cases, turned to losses, which, you know, is one of the cardinal sins that we talk about on Mad Money. Now, nobody wants to go near these things. However, once the SPAC finally merges with another company, the stock does have a chance to go higher. Uh, though even then, you need to be pretty de-selective with your stock picking. So first, take a look. We've got some great things at CNBC going, and one of them is the SPAC 50 index. This contains 50 of the biggest pre-merger SPACs, and you can see it's been flatlining for months. But the newly created CNBC post-SPAC index, which includes former SPACs that have completed a major deal within the past few years, hey, this one's showing a little sign of life. It's got a pulse. So which of the post-SPAC stocks are working here that maybe you can buy, make some money in? I'm going to give you four of the highest profile winners, give you a little about each one of them so that you kind of know the difference between an unsuccessful SPAC and a successful one. Why don't we go in chronological order by date of deal? And we're going to start with one that you've heard me say many times I like. It's called STEM Inc. That's a smart energy storage play. These guys make uh, batteries for, for businesses with renewable energy assets. It's where you put your excess solar or wind power so that you can use it even when the weather's wrong. They, they pair that with an AI-driven software system that helps determine the best times to switch between battery power, on-site generation, or the grid. Now, when Starpeak Energy Transition announced its merger with Stem roughly seven months ago, the deal was a hit immediately. Stocks spent the next few months soaring. We spoke to CEO John Carrington. And he told a terrific story. But I had worried that the stock had gotten ahead of itself. Just a week later, Stem peaked at 51 bucks. Then the stock collapsed with the rest of the SPAC complex. Now, I've repeatedly told you to buy this if it drops to the twenties, it did. It's now at thirty-six. Not bad. If you got in near the lows in mid mid May, well, you've more than doubled your money because we really had a major reversal in this group. What makes this story so compelling? First off, our electric grid. Oh, come on, it's a disaster. Every new horrifying headline drives more business to embrace smart energy storage. It's one of the reasons, by the way, I like Genrec. Uh, But that's an older company. That's not a SPAC. Second, Stem's a key vendor for blue chip companies that want to make a big deal about reducing their carbon footprint. Almost every company does. Third and most important, Stem knocked it out of the park when reported in May with a stunning 200 percent plus revenue growth. No one was looking for that. Management reaffirmed their full year forecast. While the stocks had a big run, you know what? You got my blessing to buy it if it comes back a little. Next up, uh, a week and a half ago, we spoke with an old friend of the show, man by the name of Brent Saunders. He was the former CEO of Allergan, Allergan Pioneer Botox. He then sold his business to AbbVie for $63 billion. I think AbbVie got it for a steal. I have to tell you, I think AbbVie's done very little with it, and it's very disappointing. Now, not long after that AbbVie deal closed, he launched a SPAC, and last December, it finally made its move, snapping up an outfit called Hydrafacial and changing the name to The Beauty Health Company. Now, this is a Hydra, Mabrasian play. Yeah, I had one of these this weekend, but it, it braised my eye, which was not so good. I, I wore an eye patch the whole weekend. Arrgh! Anyway, the device for skin treatments that sell to dermatologists and beauty spas and even retailers like Sephora, which, you know, is a winner. Now, this is a rare SPAC story that got very little love right out of the gate, even when the rest of the group was flying. After the SPAC collapse, though, as the merger approached, the stock started running and it's continued to climb since the deal closed on May 5th. The beauty health company, Skin, great symbol, already has a real business. They've sold 17,000 delivery systems across 87 countries, and they make money selling consumables every time those systems are used. Now that we're coming out of the pandemic, business is picking up because, well, people want to look good. And a $200 a pop, HydraFacial is much cheaper than most aesthetic procedures. I think the growth potential here is just, uh, it, it's enormous. When we spoke to Brent, he said they're working on an at-home version of this device, also planning to expand into hair care. With the Beauty Health company trading at $18 and change, I like the stock right here, right now. You have my blessing to buy Beauty Health Simple Skin. Third post-back winner, Tech. That's right. A company has been disrupting the financial service industry for years, starting with online lending, then moving into investment accounts and more traditional banking. Now they're even aiming to become a chartered national bank. CEO Anthony Noto is a brilliant guy and an old friend of the show. West Pointer, by the way. We've had him on five times since he took over in 2018. Every time I came away impressed with what he's building. Hard not to be. So when a SPAC back by Chamath Palihapitiya. Big name venture capitalists announced this merger with SoFi this January. The stock soared to 28 and change a few weeks later. Then the whole SPAC edifice crumbled. SoFi bottomed at 14 bucks and change mid May. Five weeks ago, they completed the deal. Stock ran all the way back to 24 a month ago before pulling back to the high teens. This is an opportunity. Now, people are worried about a coming wave of insider selling. I think that's actually created a buying opportunity. Once again, SoFi is a real business with excellent financials. They've had seven straight quarters of accelerating membership growth, up 110% in the latest quarter. They crushed the sales and earnings estimates, too. SoFi's built an incredible brand here. Thanks to the terrific student loan refinancing business, I almost consider them the default financial services provider for young people uh, away from Robinhood, of course. I like the stock here. I'd like need more on weakness. I wish they'd merged with Robinhood. Wouldn't that be a killer? Finally, there is one that is not talked about at all. I don't know. Maybe you've heard someone talk about it. I haven't. WM Technology. The, the post-SPAC company you might know as Weedmaps, which is exactly what it sounds like. A consumer cannabis app that helps you find legal dispensaries and order ahead of time for takeout or delivery. They've now got more than 10 million monthly active users, and that's only growing as more states legalize. On top of that, the company sells a cloud-based software offering that helps reefer retailers run their businesses. I mean, come on, one-stop shop. Now, after getting uh, just pancake with the rest of the SPACs, this stock has rallied more than 70% from its May lows to its peak the day after its merger closed in mid-June. Since then, WM technology has pulled back more than 5 bucks to below 17 Ah, oh, this, my friends, is an opportunity. Rather than betting on individual weed growers or retailers, which I think is way too hard, I always like to go with the picks and shovel plays that sell the entire industry. The Weed Maps business is good, but the cannabis cloud software business is great. So are the financials. Not only is WM Technology profitable here, get that, I, I'm going to repeat that, it's profitable, even though it's in the weed business, and it had more than 100% earnings growth in the latest quarter. Yes, buy WM Tech. Bottom line. As the hated SPACs complete their deals and become post-SPAC stories, sometimes their stocks turn into winners— and what to do with what do these winners have in common? These four were all real companies making real money long before they came public by merger with a SPAC. It's kind of what we thought would happen before things went out of their mind. That's the pattern for what works in D-SPAC companies. And remind once again, reminder, CNBC has the absolute best charts and graphs on SPACs. Go there. Buy these. Stick with me.
1: Coming up. Who's better? And who's best? Kramer spreads the summer love on the S&P 500's best bets from the year's first half. Next.
2: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card.
3: With the second quarter in the books, what can the best performers of Q2 tell us about the rest of the year? You might think that the biggest winners would be the reopening plays, right? But you know what? That would be totally wrong. When you look at the top five in the S&P 500 and the top five in the NASDAQ for the previous quarter, only one of those stocks was a reopening play. Instead, you've got a wide variety of winners, which tells you a lot about the broad-based strength of this market, even on an ugly day for the averages, except for a little bit for the NASDAQ. So I want to do So, I want to start with the biggest winners and spend a little more time on the biggest winner because it's so important. Yes, number one in the S&P is NVIDIA, and it's up nearly 50% for the quarter. Now, you know I love NVIDIA, right? I mean, I love it so much that I name my dog after it, right? Now, just, just so you know, this is NVIDIA the second. We lost Everest NVIDIA. Jensen Wong was kind enough to let me have my dog be able to go in to headquarters. Now, why would you want to go into headquarters? Because this is a company with a hammerlock on artificial intelligence and graphics processors, and it's become our largest semiconductor company. Now, this is a stat that blew David Faber away, and he usually is is uh, kind of not interested in anything I have to say. The company has a $516 billion valuation, up from just $15 billion five years ago. I mean, that's incredible. NVIDIA quote fire this quarter thanks to an amazing, well, I mean, wow, what a, just the last three months, fantastic raise guidance, and the increasing likelihood that the regulators around the world will allow it to acquire a company called Arm Holdings, the British chipmaker that makes central processing units for both cell phones and personal computers. Remember, NVIDIA makes graphic processors. Now, these are two areas where NVIDIA has zero overlap, hence why I have said from the beginning that the deal will go through, but some people think I'm just parroting Jensen Wong. I wish I could parrot Jensen Wong. Okay, this weekend, this weekend we got big news on the acquisition. A blog post from a fellow by the name of Simon Seegers, the CEO of Arm, about how it's very important for the United Kingdom to approve the deal, lest Arm fall behind artificial intelligence. He mentions that the company contemplated raising money through an IPO, but, and I'm quoting here, determined that the pressure to deliver short-term revenue growth and profitability would suffocate our ability to invest, expand, move fast, and innovate. End quote. Thank heavens, there's someone just willing to tell the truth here. Instead, by joining forces with NVIDIA, Arm can make the United Kingdom into, quote, a meaningful player in the era of artificial intelligence. The British authorities are worried about letting an American company snap up one of the few tech heavyweights in their country. They don't mean to denigrate the U.K., but they don't have a lot. But the, the, the authorities don't want NVIDIA to move all the research to the U.S., But Seegers argues that rather than siphoning off talent, this deal would actually increase resources in the U.K. This is the biggest obstacle to the deal. So if he can get the British government on board, that is huge. Now, maybe some of you think of NVIDIA as more of a cryptocurrency play because its graphic cards are used to mine Bitcoin uh, and Ethereum. uh, Well, everything else, mostly Ethereum. According to management, though, it's a tiny portion of their business. It could be 400 million, according to some of the reports I've seen. It's mostly driven by chips that aren't up to specification for gaming. Yeah, scraps. That said, there's going to be analysts who think it's a a kind of piece of the pie and there's going to be lots of younger people who say, "Ooh, it's an Ethereum play. Please don't buy it for that. Okay, buy it because, well, the rest of the business. There's a reason CEO Jensen Wong is known as the Da Vinci of tech. He's a renaissance man with a ton of different priorities. Gaming, high performance, high performance computing, uh, customer service pick-and-place robots, ones that go around and say, like, you know, actually literally deliver your coffee, which I could use right now. Uh, fraud detection. But he seems to have the most interest in conquering self-driving cars, where NVIDIA's working with Mercedes to make it happen. They're a good partner. While truly autonomous vehicles seem to have taken a step backward, every time a self-driving car crashes, it crushes the entire industry. Never mind that humans don't exactly have a great track record when it comes to avoiding accidents. Still, if anyone can pull this off, Jensen can. And that's why I am... Proud to call Ragu NVIDIA. Now, remember, he answers to NVIDIA, but only if you have a piece of steak in your hand. Second biggest winner. You knew there had to be an energy stock in here. Devin Energy up Newton. Up nearly 34% for the quarter. The company's run by this fellow Rick Moncrief. Okay, it's M-U-N-C-R-I-F, which is odd in itself because the new Devon is a combination of the old Devon with Moncrief's old business, the much smaller WPX. But anyone who knows him, and I got to meet him when we went to the Bakken Shale. A decade ago, can understand both why he's running the joint and why the stock's such an outperformer. Rick understands that Wall Street is sick and tired of oil companies that spend beyond their means and are awful stewards of capital. Rather than chasing production growth, the oil patch is now uh, about efficiently spending money and generating FCF, free cash flow. That's how you measure. Even better, the new Devon has a variable dividend that gives you a huge yield when oil prices are high, like right now. As long as crude stays above 60 bucks a barrel, we're talking about a 7% yield here. No wonder people like this one for the second half, too. I am not deterred by the decline in oil today. Now, number three, I may call Jensen Wong the da Vinci of TAC, but few CEOs would ever call their past quarter a present-day Michelangelo. Huh. Yet that's exactly how Pool Corp CEO Pete Arvin described his results for the fourth quarter of last year. Now, that may sound like pure hubris for a pool company, but business keeps getting better and better. The conference call, he said, the Michelangelo quarter was a warm up for a true masterpiece. Now, I question this because I thought Michelangelo's kind of top of game guy. I don't know what he's thinking. I mean, yes, some of these guys like Rothko go for a lot of money, but you can't match Michelangelo, can you? Just a thought. Now, you might think pool's a weird fit for this list. It's a quintessential backyard improvement stock at a moment when people are supposed to be leaving homes for the first time in ages, right? Uh, But you have to remember that the housing market's on fire. Rising home values, people are much more likely to invest in their property, and that includes building a pool. And that's why Pool Corp was up 33% for the second quarter. Okay, 32.9. Who's splitting hairs? I wish I had more. And as long as housing stays strong, en fuego. Now you got to go all the way to the fourth best performer before find a genuine reopening play. Gartner, symbol IT, Information Technology. <laughs> Here's a consulting company for everything related to enterprise technology. One that's chiefly known though for its in-person conferences. Very much a pent up demand story. Gartner's one of the least promotional companies in the SP 500, even as it's well known for its brand name benchmarking, Allah Gartner Magic Quadrant. That's the standard that companies love to trumpet. While the company picked up a lot of business during the pandemic, it's clear that investors believe they'll get a major boost in the second half as those conferences come back. That said, with the stock up more than 32% last quarter, I think the easy money already has been made. This one's not for me. Finally, if you were to be transported back in time to four years ago, I would say, How'd you do that? No, I'd say, you you would think I was crazy if I told you that Equifax, yes, the credit monitoring company that was really kind of one of the original hacksters, one of the worst hacks in history, that that would finish in the top five, also up 32% for the quarter? Amazingly, the brand survived. New products have thrived. The mortgage business is strong enough. And credit checks will no doubt accelerate once people start spending beyond their means, kind of the American way. Something that's inevitable in a booming economy. Equifax shocked Wall Street with its much better than expected results and its more aggressive buyback. I think this could be a terrific second half story. I'm saying buy this one because the company's moving its business to the cloud, it's higher expenses because of that initially, which will make it cheaper ultimately to run without any compromise in security. We think of them as just a credit monitoring and verification company, but not as the dominant one with 115 million active users. That's a third of the darn country. The breadth of the product here is astounding. So big that even as mortgages have tailed off a quad, you know, a little bit in the quarter, business accelerated. This might be the single most of financial technology play out there. Yes, I am endorsing Equifax. Bottom line, the s top five performers show you the incredible variety of what's been working here. A tech and oil, a home improvement, an information technology specialist, and a credit and analysis company. Talk about a disparate group of winners. I love them all, but my heart belongs to NVIDIA. Jim in North Carolina. Could be Jim Whitehurst. That's where he's from. Jim. <laughs> Good day, Jim. A big North Carolina bub bub booyah you and appreciate everything you do for the little guy. I am loving it. I was with um, a buddy of mine who is from Charlotte just telling me, I mean, it's, it is so on fire there. But Raleigh-Durham, too. And did you know you that are. the Outer Banks is eight hours from Charlotte? That's something I learned this weekend. All right, let's go. All right. Well, I've got a uh, got a headache on my uh, plate today. I've been in the gaming stock since last uh, November, December, and I've done nothing but watch my Penn National Gaming holding go south. And I was wondering what your take was on the gaming industry and uh Penn National in particular. This is a great question. I think Penn National is a victim of its own success. This stock had a run that was really one of the greatest runs ever uh, when they hired Barstool. Now, it turns out that the states are a little bit slow in, uh, in, in legalizing gambling. But this is a coiled spring. And I go to Barstool every day. And I've got to tell you, they've got every sport covered. Portnoy is incredible. Uh, I know that the people, you know, that's politically uh, whatever. I don't care. I love sports. And I think Penn Nat is here to stay. And I envy you for being in the stock. So patience, even with Portnoy, is a virtue. Eric in Massachusetts. Eric.
2: Hey, Jim. Booyah, buddy. Booyah.
3: Uh, my stock is JetBlue. I opened a position early in the pandemic. I'm up uh, over 70%. I'm still bullish given the expansion of both domestic and international routes, but the last three months down 20% has got me concerned. Should I buy? Uh, you know or? the group acted poorly even with oil down today. I mean Southwest is my favorite, but I'm not going to try to talk. I think Jet Blue's. I like the I like the management. I see them come on uh, on uh, CNBC all the time, but I feel very slighted because they haven't come on our show. That said, 16 bucks. I don't know. 14 downside, 20 upside. I like that. The stock market showed broad-based strength. Look at this. These different kinds of companies in Q2. Wow, I like it. A lot of sectors are working, but we are so not done. There's much more man by the head. My countdown of top stocks continues. This time I'm tackling the NAS. Boy, is this list going to shock you. And then I'm talking D.D. Stallone and what it means for the overall market. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. told me three months ago that the best performers in the NASDAQ second quarter derby would be some of the COVID winners, companies that did well during COVID, the ones that were supposed to get hammered as part of the great reopening trade. Well, call me skeptical, maybe extremely skeptical. Yet that's exactly what happened. Some great stocks that were counted out way too early as we moved into the post-pandemic environment got a big boost driven by, I think, seller's remorse. The best performer in the Nasdaq is a really good example. It's Moderna. It was up a shocking 79%. Everyone figured this classic COVID vaccine play would reach peak sales in 2021. But thanks to the Delta variant and the superiority of Moderna's vaccine, it looks like they may even have a better than expected 2022. The EU, for example, just added 150 million more doses to its original order. The United States tackled on another 200 million. Plus, Moderna expects to sell a huge number of doses to India and millions more to American teenagers who have barely started getting vaccinated at this point. This is all because Moderna's vaccine seems to work best against the Delta variant, although Pfizer would certainly argue otherwise. I mean, nobody really else comes close. In terms of valuation, this is where I struggle. Moderna is very hard to pin down. It has a nearly 900. It has a $94 billion market cap, 94 billion. But a lot of people fear it could be like Gilead, which came up with this incredible cure for hepatitis C stock went all the way up and then hit a wall, kind of got cut in half. Why? Because they cured all the patients. If you think COVID's behind us, well, then Moderna's a sell. If you think the Delta variant is just the beginning and we might need regular booster shots, maybe there's more to it. To me, the crucial test is whether or not Moderna can offer personalized cancer vaccines. Yes, that's what they're really working on in time to offset the decline in COVID sales. Before the pandemic, that was what this story was all about. Putting everything together, though, I think the stock's too high at this point, because even if they're successful at cancer vaccines, it, the comparisons are so difficult because of how successful they were at COVID. Number two, NVIDIA already covered that because it was the best performer in the S&P. The next stock, classic example of what I'm talking about that you wouldn't have expected to win, DocuSign, right? Isn't that a perfect example of the counterintuitive nature of this tech rally? People often link DocuSign to Zoom, two products that took the world by storm during the pandemic. But while Zoom is facing all sorts of new competition and might take a hit as business travel comes back, that's really, I think, the main determinant, DocuSign's gaining speed in offering new categories, like the agreement cloud, more of a platform meets service silo than a simple e-signature business. Plus, the near-term introduction of notary replacement is huge, as is their expansion overseas. Notary, I got to tell you, you, you know, try to search for one. Well, you won't need to. I think Zoom's too cheap here, but I truly like DocuSign, given that it's become nearly as ubiquitous with fewer competitors. As CEO Dan Springer, been on the show, always reminds you, once people have tried DocuSign, they don't go back. No wonder the stock was up 38% last quarter. Next up, we all know how companion animals took off during the pandemic. Dogs are everybody's best friend. Terrific piece in The New York Times about it just yesterday. Couldn't have come at a better time for Idex Labs, the animal diagnostics company, because there were growing concerns that the humanization of pet story had begun to play out, that it peaked. Now, though, this wave of new pets have come into a world where people know that you have to go to the vet more than once every couple of years. Yes, ignorance has been replaced by logic and learning. Meanwhile, there's no real cessation of pet adoption with the pandemic slowing down. In fact, according to data I got from the Petco people who have only the people who have only one pet are increasingly taking on a second one like we did. Pet adoption agencies are more and more selective about potential owners. And they're also testing their animals for all sorts of illnesses, including a fecal test made by IDEX. Plus, they've got a robust livestock business. I used to talk about them getting rid of this. Well, that was wrong. They're making a fortune testing for African swine fever in China. While Idex is perennially expensive, it currently trades at more than 80 times earnings, it typically justifies that valuation with fantastic results. Another 29% rally might be hard to repeat, but I think the company will surprise, indeed, in the second half. Number four, oh, I love this company, I really do, is it. Now, this is either the luckiest company around or the smartest. Maybe both. They've got a fantastic operation making software for small and medium-sized businesses. Think QuickBooks. You can't live without it. Needless to say, the outlook for small businesses has improved dramatically. Intuit also paid $8.1 billion for Credit Karma back in 2020, which I was very critical of. Oh, Many others, too. Uh, because it looked expensive. Instead, 40% of Credit Karma's new customers now come from Intuit's user base. In return for data on your spending habits, these guys give you a free credit score. People love that. People are addicted to seeing their scores. Companies are desperate for your data. It's a win-win. It's a brilliant company. But you know what my favorite part of the story is? It's TurboTax. Can you even imagine how, may, how many people might have gone to an H&R Block office instead turned to TurboTax's online video offering, which was safer? Game set match. Like DocuSign, I don't think you ever go back to the old way of tax prep. And the old way is Intuit's following competitor. With the stock up 28% last quarter, I think Intuit has a very good chance of continuing its winning ways. If only because the products keep getting better and better. If you don't own a small business, I don't think you understand how great these guys really are. Intuit, 28%, more to run. Finally, there's an old favorite of the show. It's called Intuitive Surgical the robot-assisted surgery play, which you could arguably classify as a reopening story because so many people had to postpone non-urgent surgery during the height of the pandemic. But I think that's wrong. I think the real story here is different. As I see it, Intuitive Surgical rallied more than 24% last quarter because there's a gigantic replacement cycle, and it still has a ton of room to take market share, given all the uses for its incredible machine. Now it's cardio, colorectal, head and neck, uh, thoracic, uh, gynecological, and of course, uh, prostate. This is a remarkable company. Their machines give you lower costs along with a better patient experience, better surgical experience, better outcomes. Why isn't the darn thing mandated in this country? They should be installing these machines at every hospital in America. Some bears believe that Intuitive Surgical is at the end of its rope because Medtronic has a strong competitor. But people have been writing this company off like that for ages. And I do like Medtronic, but you know what? I'd stick with Intuitive. In fact, of all the winners in this list, I expect it to do well, I don't know, tied with the I would say, I expect it to do best, but you know what? It, it's going to be a push between Intuitive and in, uh, in Intuit. Hey, I like that. See, it's Intuit, Intuitive. I just thought of that. The bottom line. Hey, come on. Sometimes you have revelations when you're doing the show. The bottom line, it's always tough to repeat a great performance, but not if you have brilliant people to helm. When it comes to this list, I buy Intuitive right now, and I would buy Intuit. Uh, I would actually buy all of these, but Moderna and Weakness. Moderna itself is just too hard for me to figure out at least at these levels. Sometimes, by the way, you just have to throw up your hands and say, I don't know. But I also would say, stick with Kramer." Coming
1: up next.
3: Let's make money together. What do we got?
1: Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round.
3: It is time! The and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Steve? There's the little lightning round coming in summer, with Mel in California. Mel. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. My dog Daisy barks a big booyah out of your new pup NVIDIA. I'm liking that very much. That's in sync and simpatico. How can I help?
2: My company is RadNet, R-D-N-T. RadNet's the largest provider of outpatient imaging in the U.S. They have over 300 centers, many in New York and California.
3: It, it, it's do- a great situation. I, they should consolidate every one of these. I think that they have a lot going for them, and I like it. I'm glad you brought it to our viewers' attention. It is a good situation. Don in Colorado. Don. Hi, Jim. First time caller from Durango, Colorado. Okay. Durango. Jim. All right. Jim, yes. Jim, back in March, you gave a speculative buy for Bionanogenomics, (BNGO). Well, look, I love all the genomics plays. What can I say? I think you have to have a pastiche of them. Here I agree with with Kathy Wood. She has a lot of genomic plays, and one or two of them is going to make up for all the rest. And I don't know if that's the one that's going to be it, but I certainly think it's a good spec. How about Evan in Ohio? Evan! Hey, Jimmy, chill. How are you? Chill has been real chill. Mostly garden and dog. Have you noticed that? No more criticism of anybody because I am the Gandhi of the garden. What's up? You're the Gandhi of the garden? Gandhi of the garden!
2: All right. Okay. Hey, um, I'm the first time, long time, and I appreciate everything you do. Thank you. I wanted to ask you you. this, this infrastructure bill that's getting batted back and forth. We all know we need it, and I'm a smaller investor. I just Been investing in real estate most of my life, but now I realize, oh, you got to fund your IRA. So here's the thing. Okay. I look at Caterpillar and I look at Vulcan and all these companies. I'm like, God, that stuff's expensive. And so I started doing some research and I landed on a company, Modine Manufacturing. Modine? I bought it.
3: That's a sweet one. You got a sweet industrial that is undiscovered by most people, and your homework has brought you in the right place. I like your call and I thank you for your comments. Let's go to Sam in Pennsylvania, Sam. Hi, Jim. Uh, Sam. I'm from uh, Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. Yes! Uh, my question is about c 3 uh, ai The company seems to have done nothing since the IPO. It appears to be down about 60%. Um, I know. Seriously. I know. And you know what? This is a tough one because Tom Siebel, uh, I know, is only a moneymaker. Tom is, uh, I, I don't know why Tom hasn't come on the show. He, he, he's an old friend from the days of my hedge fund and I think he's a, a good guy. And I know that the stock has been very, very rocky. A lot of younger people got in and think it was going to be the next, I don't know, snowflake. It's just an interesting business. It's an AI business. And frankly, I'd rather be an NVIDIA when it comes to AI because Jensen Wong is AI. I need to go to Brandon in Washington. Brandon. Hey, hey, Jimmy Chill. Much love from all the way out of Mount Baker out in Washington State. Holy cow, that's far away. Oh, my. Hey, Jim, can you do your magic and give your opinion on uh, Nano Dimension, ticker NNDM? Oh, this 3D. And then suddenly out of nowhere, DDD finally works and everybody wants to be in 3D. I'm going to have to say no. The play, It's played out in my view. Uh, i am Someone could say Sentinel-1 was played out. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round!
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up. So much for Eastern promises. Kramer takes aim at the recent record for Chinese IPOs. And the result is a sea of red. Mad Money will be right back.
3: All right, you've been around. You've watched the show for a long time. You know, for years, I've been railing against Chinese IPOs. They tend to perform so much worse than American ones. But every now and then I make an exception for big companies with great fundamentals, Baidu, Alibaba. Then last week, Didi Global, basically the Chinese Uber. I'm never going to make that mistake again. No more Chinese IPOs, period. Either they're bad companies, in which case you obviously don't want to go near the stock, or they're good businesses, in which case the ruling Communist Party could crack down at any moment. And that's what happened with Didi. I figured that they would have this kind of clear, you know, maybe with the government ahead of time. I mean, Didi's had phenomenal growth. They've only reached a third of the country with their app. It looked like a fabulous multi-year rollout story. Nope. Yesterday, the Chinese government suspended new user registrations and had Didi kicked off of every app store just a few days after ball out IPO. Thanks for nothing. That's why the stock plunged nearly 20 percent today. I didn't see that coming, but I should have. See, the viciousness of what happened here really is extraordinary. We don't know if management had a good inkling of what was coming, but they sure didn't do a great job of communicating that risk to investors. We also don't know if the bankers knew, although we might find out if the SEC bothers to investigate. I don't see how the brokers can orchestrate another Chinese IPO in good conscience here, but that's assuming conscience is part of the equation. If I were running the SEC, I'd put a full stop to any offerings from China because this is absurd and someone besides me has to say enough. As for the People's Republic of China, what can I say? If their government were actively trying to sabotage market investors and make them lose the maximum amount of money, well, this is precisely how they do it. Even without the active interference of the Chinese Communist Party, these deals are no picnic. So far this year, you know, we've had 35, 35 Chinese IPOs. 22 of those stocks are now below their offering price. 15 of them are down more than 20 percent. The median deal is down 11 percent. While there are a few big winners, that's a pathetic track record. Now, there's a lot of blame to go around, but most of it falls on the regulators. I don't understand why our government refuses to demand the same level of disclosure from Chinese companies that it demands from American ones. What kind of exception is that? After this travesty, I think they should block Chinese companies from our capital markets until at least we get some major concessions on trade and regulation. Uh, sure, that could damage some American businesses that do big business over there. I mean, Nike's been soaring because they know how to play ball in China. and Maybe you don't like that, but they do. The Communist Party could crack down if our government takes a more aggressive posture. A lot of our companies are worried about that. But at this point, I think it's worth the risk. We have been patsies for too long. China still hasn't abandoned its unfair trade practices, and this Didi fiasco is beyond the pale. It's time for the regulators to put a stop to these Chinese IPOs. And I am saying, done, enough. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise you i find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The news
2: with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.